0: morning. Why don't you go ahead and grab a seat? We'll get started here. <clears throat> All right. Well, that's good. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Welcome to the firehouse. Good morning. Welcome to the firehouse. Good morning. All right. Very good, it's uh, it's the second service, we got a little slower start to the the day, and uh, how many of you enjoyed that? Yes, anyone? I I enjoyed it too, but I thought my brain is also getting a slower start to the day too, so still trying to boot up the systems here. Um, But anyways, we're uh, just glad you guys would choose to join us here this morning. Uh, My name is Rich, I'm one of the pastors around here, so I just want to welcome you again, but uh, we're at the end of a series here, we're at the kind of the finale of a little journey journey through the gospel of Mark here. So it's, um, in some ways it seems like it's gone fast and other ways it seems like it's gone pretty slow. But uh, we'll be done one way or another here um, with Mark chapter 16 today. So I'm going to go ahead and pray and then we're going to open up Mark chapter 16 and uh, hopefully finish it up here. So let's just bow our heads and pray one more time. Lord Jesus, we do just thank you for this morning. God, we just thank you for this glorious day that you have before us. We just ask that you meet us here. Meet us here in this moment. Meet us uh, during the next few minutes here as we look at your scriptures. God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts. You've got things you want to communicate to each one of us. And I pray you'd help us have soft and sensitive hearts that we might hear from you. Maybe even uh, independent of me, Lord. But I just pray your spirit would take over this time. Uh, Have your way in our hearts and our lives. In, and in this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, well, before we get started, I do want to quick apologize for uh, oh, last week. You know, um, I, I forgot that um, I noticed people are not sitting in the front row here. I, we, we talked about spitting last week and how Jesus, they spit on him and how gross it was. And, and just to illustrate, I you know, kind of went, and I spit, and I totally forgot about it, you know, and I didn't, uh, I didn't go find, you know, where I made a mess here, but uh, I think we got it taken care of here, but I still notice the front row is somewhat vacant here, um, that's probably safer that way anyways, but anyways, I remembered after the fact, and I was like, uh, I did just spit at the front of the stage, and I need to go figure that out, but oh well, uh, we're all, we're all right, it's okay. Um... But let's see here. We do also have some, some good news. This morning we're going to talk about good news, really. We've got the, the commission to get the good news out there. But there is some good news that's happened in our midst here that you may or may not have heard about. And it has to do with a proposal of yeah. sorts. And uh, I guess, you know, Alan proposed last night to uh, to Lydia. I guess the good news would be that she said yes after all, right? That's, that's the good news. Uh, good news it sounded like it was it was you know 50-50 there for a little bit but finally she said she said yes Alan said it took like forever for her to respond after he asked her, and she said it was actually kind of quick. But I, I think maybe it seemed like forever to Alan. So, but anyway, congratulations to you guys on your on your good news there. We're, we'll talk about that a little more here at the end. But um, we're going to do a, a few things and One, we're going to just do a quick review of the Gospel of Mark. Because if you're like me, you know I forgot what we talked about last week, much less like 15 weeks ago. You know, um, so we're going to do a quick review here, and then we'll jump into Mark 16, and really we look at two halves of Mark chapter 16, with uh, much of our emphasis being on the second half, so quick quick overview, and I'm talking like real quick here. Um, You know, the theme of the Gospel of Mark, which we talked about from the beginning, was just how um, the view of Jesus that Mark really recorded had to do with Jesus as God's perfect servant. One of the kind of earmarked verses of of Mark that we shared probably in the very first message was uh, this one in Mark 10.45 that just says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. You know, this, this really just captured Jesus' life. Um, throughout the Gospel, you know, uh, it starts off the Gospel of Mario, there's no credentials. You know, Matthew has this big old long lineage about how Jesus ties back into the, the lineage of the King, of the Messiah. And Luke ties him all the way back into the beginning of uh, mankind and, and Adam. And uh, John talks, ties Jesus back into being one with the Father, one. Um, the Word was and, you know, how he was God and is God. And, um, and then Mark, though, know, Mark just jumps right in, doesn't say anything about, you know, Jesus' background because, you know, a servant, a servant doesn't need any credentials, you know, and that's how we, we started the ball rolling here. Um, you know, Mark records over 20, uh, 20, give or take a few, miraculous miracles in great detail. It's the gospel with the most recorded miracles that Jesus performed. Which is fitting for a servant to, to see his deeds, you know. Um, and they, you know, they were miraculous things like, uh, well, you know, healing the blind, having uh, someone stretch out their hand, a paralyzed man walking, removing 2,000 plus demons from a man raising a dead girl, raising um, you know, all sorts of these things, but it just showed Jesus' authority over all these different realms, from skin to life or death to, uh, you know, even the, the waves and the wind obeyed him. The servant was a servant with authority, with miraculous power he served. Um, What else do we know? He served with compassion. You know, I think about when he, the leper approached him and said, you know, if you're willing, you could heal me. And Jesus said, move with compassion. Touched him, you know, and, and he served with, a, with his heart and he served with compassion. Uh, another thing that we see, you know, used over and over again as a word in the Gospels, probably more than all the other Gospels added up. There's a word in Mark that shows up probably 40 plus times, and that's immediately. It's kind of like Jesus went from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, just serving and just giving us an example here. Um, he served sacrificially. You know, we, we talked about last week how he paid our debt. He gave his life as a ransom. For many, and so um, that's just some things maybe just to remind us of of the Jesus that we looked at in the Gospel of Mark. Here, we're going to take a look at this closing chapter here, and. Um, you know, just hopefully wrap the whole thing up. We will be starting uh, a couple other series this summer. One is going to be on the the Book of James. We're going to just do a five-part quick series this summer, and then we'll probably get into potentially a few topical series that we do just related to maybe things in our life or things uh, to help us better reach those who don't know Christ. Uh, We'll do a few things throughout the summer here. But... um, We'll start James. I think Jeff is going to start off James, um, the book of James, next week or so. But <clears throat> here we go. Let's see. So as we look at this, we're just going to roll, like I say, the first half of this chapter. We're just going to roll over it real quick. If you have a Bible, if you would, uh, you get it out here. Um, there should be one nearby you, or I'll read it, and you can just follow along. We're just going to look at the first eight verses of this chapter, and we're going to kind of go through them you know, fast. We can focus on, I think, some of the... Uh, The things I want to emphasize here this morning, but so we're looking at the resurrection. The first thing we'll see here is just um, you know this first verse, chapter 16, page 1010 in your Bibles here. But it just says this. This is uh, really um, the Sabbath is over. Over. This is uh, basically the first Easter Sunday, the sunrise services, if you will. Um, And it says. when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jane, and Siloam brought spices so that they could anoint Jesus' body. And, you know, the first thing I just want to draw our attention to is just, it's interesting to know. sometimes people will give uh, Christianity a bad rap as it relates to women. They'll say, you know, Christianity supports women oppression and things like that. And, um, but, you know, one of the things I want to just draw our attention to here is, Who did God give the honor of being the first witnesses of the empty tomb and the risen Lord? Who was that honor given to? It was given to the women. It was given to the women. And culturally speaking, back then, they couldn't even serve in in the court of law. Their witness would not, they could not bear testimony there. Culturally, it wasn't a valid testimony. And yet God, in His infinite wisdom, said, You know what? I'm going to have the women get there first. And they're going to be my witnesses And, you know, the Bible's full of things of how God does not oppress women, or Christianity does not oppress women, but He um, honors women and shows that they're equal in value and equal in their their purposes that God has for them here. So, just as a quick note on that, um, I I like how it just says very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, you know, these women were pretty devout. I found it interesting that, you know, what were the guys doing, you know, the disciples? And Peter hit this news button one more time, you know. And what was going on there? I don't know, but these women were devout. They wanted to get to Jesus' body to bring spices. Um, you know, it was for the tomb. It was designed to make the tomb smell better and stuff like that. But one of the questions I have is just, what, what do you get up very early for? What kind of gets you going? Because these godly women, it was Jesus that got them up early. For us, you know, I don't know. For me, sometimes, you know, what gets me going early is basketball. We got a basketball league in the early morning. I think I could get up and rolling for that. But uh, you know, get up and go check out the tomb early on a Sunday morning. I don't know about all that. But what gets you up early? But these women give us an example of, of Christ. Got them up early at sunrise, you know, and a great example to men and women here. Um, another thing here is, um, you know, they asked this question. Uh, who so will roll the stone away when we get there? They're going to see Jesus. He's buried. He's in this tomb. It's sealed. And, you know, they, they're not thinking about that. They're just going, hey, look, we're, we love Jesus. We want to, you know, honor Him even in His death, in His tomb. And, and they start, you know, maybe problem solving here a little bit like... uh who is going to move the tomb? You know, like Mary, uh, Mary, which one are you? Um, but uh, sometimes we can be like that. We can start figuring, we can start coming up with problems before we actually need to, you know. And what happened when they got to the tomb here? Well, um, verse 4 just says, When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. Sometimes we get worrying about things, and God's already taken care of it. And we have to be careful. You know, the scriptures say, Do not worry about anything. But in everything, with prayer and petition, uh, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know, we're not supposed to be worrying. And watch out for worrying in advance of things that God might already have taken care of. Big things taken care of already. Um, What else do we have here? Verse 5. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. On the right side. They were alarmed. Now, uh, a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side... What do you think that young man was? Not Jesus, no. Um, What's that? I heard that, yes. Angel, an angel. Um, Sometimes people go, well, one account says there was a guy in a white robe sitting there. Another account says there was a radiant angel sitting there. And I go... Well, can it be one and the same? You know, is that really the contradic- contradiction, to end-all contradictions there? And I don't think so. A lot of times we just have to reconcile and go, okay, from this perspective that Mark recorded, there's a guy in a white robe sitting there. From this person, it was an angel with a radiant, you know, looked radiant. Those, I believe, are describing the same thing. I don't think there's so many things like that that are not a big deal if you look at them. Just even deeper than a glance. Um, let's keep going here. What else do we have? Um, you know, so he goes on, the angel says, uh, you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. You know, this messenger from God says, he, he's risen, he's not here. He says, look, go check it out. You'll notice he's not here. Um, but then he goes on to say, uh, you know, see the place where he laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And I love that phrase, just as he told you. You know, um, Jesus told them all these things were going to happen. He said, "Hey, they're going to they're going to kill me. They're going to flog me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to crucify me. They're going to bury me, and I'm going to rise again." And you know, he did say along the way, meet me in Galilee there. But um, I just love that phrase, "Just as he told you." Um, And we have to have to remember everything that Jesus said about his death and his um, resurrection played out exactly like he said, just as he told you. And just as He told me. And the same is going to be true about everything He said about what is to come. Everything about His return is going to play out just like He told you and me. Everything about eternal life and eternal death the judgment is going to play out just like He told you and me. Everything about eternity and either being with Him or being uh, apart from Him in hell is going to play out just like He said. And we just have to catch that. God keeps His word, for better or for worse. That's For us that are believing He's coming back to take us with Him for eternity in heaven, that's a good thing. For those who He's coming back to judge for either resisting Him or their sin against Him, it's not going to be a good thing, but it will be a faithful thing. Just like He said. You got to keep that in mind, men and women. He, we can take him at his word, for better or for worse there. Um, you know, it goes on to say, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out, fled the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. You know, there's different thoughts on that. Maybe initially they were just shocked and flabbergasted that they just didn't talk to each other. They just kind of headed out. It tells us later that the, Jesus showed himself to Mary Magdalene. And, um, and then she went and told you know, the disciples, things like that. But... Um, You know, I just think maybe for a while they didn't say anything. Maybe they were just so like, whoa, I I can't even take this in. And then eventually they they went on to share like we see in some of the other accounts here. But anyways, that's the first half of this chapter here. Any questions? All right, let's go. Let's keep going here. Um, you know, the eyes have it. Let's go. Um, all in favor, we'll, we'll keep going. Okay, um, so the second half here is really what I want to kind of hit on some more. As I've been praying about this chapter, as I've thought about it in the past, I really feel like there's some things here that, that God's put on my heart. And I want to start by, um, let's see here, I'm talking about... Le footnote. Yeah. You got your Bible? Can you take a look at this footnote here? Because, you know, I'll just be honest with you. i got a bone to pick with this, and, and you're going to hear about it, you know. Sorry, like it or not, you're stuck for a few more minutes. Um, but let's look at this footnote here. This footnote says The most reliable early manuscripts and other ancient wit- witnesses do not have Mark 16, 9 through 20. You know, um,. Why do they stick that there? Uh, you know, I, I've got a problem with that. I'm going to give you a couple of things here, a couple of thoughts. But um, this is the footnote, by the way. And the rest of the scripture is actually included in the Bible. And, and this footnote, well, I've got a point. i got a lot of points on this. Okay. We'll just go real fast and give you some thoughts here. Um, I believe this uh, this chapter, this second half of the chapter, should be included in this book, and it has been traditionally included in this. And it is only recently that this has been questioned. I, I called Tim and asked him. I was like, "Tim, I'm gonna, I got a soapbox here. Are we on the same page? You know, before I have this soapbox here, you've been teaching for longer than I have, probably longer than me and the other pastors added up." They said, "No, uh, I think you're right on the money with the thoughts you're going to share on this." I was like, "Good," because I, I really felt like I got to share them. Um, but anyways. Um, so this says the most reliable early manuscripts. Depending on the Bible that you read, there's all sorts of footnotes to this. Probably the only one that doesn't have a footnote is if you read the good old King, King James, the authorized version. Um, yeah, they don't have a footnote on this. And that's probably the best part about the King James, I think, right there. Um, it's, uh, if you like Shakespeare, you know, have at it. That's a good version to read. But I, I don't read Shakespeare so much. Um, anyways, but... Uh, this, this thing here there's a lot of different ways it's said but what, what, you know what's at the root of this is that there's two two of the earliest manuscripts that contain this passage in Mark two of the earliest ones don't have this and many of the other ones almost all the rest of the manuscripts that have this passage in Mark contain this two of the earliest ones don't I, I like how they kind of the most early, the most reliable early manuscripts don't have this. I feel like they're, they're extending... You know, I, I think there's all sorts of reasons why they have this note in here, um, and I'm going to share those with you, like I said. But one of them, I think, is when you're trying to sell Bibles and get people to buy them from you and stuff, if you say, you know, the rest of this wacky passage is, you know, it's really not in here, they're probably more likely to buy your Bible than if you say you know what, we're going to have to figure out how to handle what's to come in this passage, you know. Uh, I think publishers have a lot to say with what footnotes make it in your and I Bibles there. Now, some, some Bibles are known for the New King James, for instance. They put footnotes at the bottom of your seat, and they say things like, you know, this comes from, from that manuscript, that comes from the Latin manuscript, and this one comes from Greek manuscripts, and there's some helpful notes in there. But I think there's a lot more and more. In my limited 16 years of following Christ, I've noticed the Bibles, the footnotes seem to get more and more watered down. You know, when you read something like this, uh, the most early Bible, don't think this should be included, but, but you can go ahead and keep on reading if you want. Um, you know, I don't think that does anybody's soul any good whatsoever. I think it does disservice to the Scriptures. These, these were included by, uh Points here. Anyways, many, many of the manuscripts, most of them actually include that passage. Many of the early church fathers, some will say, you know this one, means ancient witnesses. It means the early church fathers. Uh, some quoted, you know, they say that without, uh, without any manuscripts at all on the New Testament, you could put the entire New Testament back together solely on quotations from the early church fathers. Because they quoted the Bible all the time. That's how we, you know, one of the ways we found out, well, this is included because these guys believe it and they quote it and they use it with authority. And, you know, therefore after the fact we go, well, that's why it's in the Bible. It was, it was known to them to be inspired. Um, but many of the church fathers quote this passage and there's a couple that don't. Um, but many of them do. And many of them, even early church fathers quote this. And so again, they go, really? It shouldn't be in here? Another thing that, that many scholars agree on is that, Ending on verse 8 here, it would be, you know, uh, worst case, it would be an incomplete, you know, it's just like you didn't finish the story, you just stopped right there, they left bewildered and afraid. Have a great Sunday, you know, see you next week. I hope you're not bewildered and afraid, you know. Um, but that would be a strange ending, it would be an incomplete ending. Some say, you know what, the actual ending has been lost. And there's a problem with that because Jesus said, you know, none of my words are ever going to be lost here. Um, there's a problem with that, understand. Some say, well, it should end right there. It's just, you know, it's just a strange ending. Fine. Well, you know, I don't buy that one either. Um, there's many that say that the ending, that is a, a style, it's a literature style that it actually ends in a way that is fitting with, with the rest of the gospel of Mark. Um... But anyways, I don't think, it doesn't seem like it should end right there. The, they say it ends on like a, the word for or something like that in the Greek, which they go, that just doesn't happen in that type of writing. Um, another thing it says, another thing to think about is that this view that this, this thing should be left out, uh, the rest of this chapter should be left out, this is a, a new view. This is not a traditionally held orthodox view of the passage at all. It's one that's showing up more and more recently. The thing that I find interesting, it's not like it's a technology-based thing. You know, we got these manuscripts, we did DNA testing, we found out, you know, they just don't belong there. It's not a, it doesn't have anything to do with recent archaeological discoveries or anything. It has to do with, I believe, people's opinions that are getting way out of line with publishing and the scriptures. And, it, you know, you look back, there's times where, in my Bible, I had times where, you know, it didn't maybe it had a little tiny note that said, you know, some people don't include this, or here's the the two manuscripts that it's not in or whatever but this is getting bigger and bigger so much so that um, I put down there the NIV the 2011 version some of you may or may not read it but there's been a change in the the NIV version which we read here Um, recently there's been I feel like a little bit of a sleight of hand they've changed the version on us and if you have a 2011 version they just pretty much italicize this entire last part of the chapter and they say it's not in there Um, it's a little bit of an appendix for you they've done some things in NIv two thousand and eleven they changed some some things that were formerly gender specific and they 've made it a, a gender neutral version and they did all of this you know it 's the most popular i think most uh, popular read Bible, but they did a, a number of changes and i don 't think anybody knew about it and you should go show up to Bible gateway they have it uh, the first thing you sign on to is this new version of NIV here but the one that we read is the 1984 version, just for the record here. But uh, What I do know is in, uh, in the 2011, if you read it, they just italicized the whole rest of this ending saying... You know, good luck. If you want to take something out of that, you know, more power to you. It's kind of what they're saying, and and I don't buy that. And many um, Bible scholars, which uh, they're Bible scholars, and I'm, you know, I look to them. They've studied their lives in, in Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic, and you know, one of them that we read as a, a movement often is William McDonald, and you know, he just says, hey, look, there's so many reasons that, that this should be included, and then that it was included in the Bible, and. Anyways, it's a, a, a newer view, and it's not based on, I think, anything but uh, popular opinion. This one thing this is one thing you, you can know for sure. This footnote here, this was definitely not in the original manuscript, okay? That you can take to the bank. They didn't have this footnote in here. You know, some scribe is writing, by the way, I don't even know if I should include this in here, but I will so that future generation in, you know, 2012 can know that this, there's questions on this. They don't have any of this in the original manuscripts. Okay, tongue-in-cheek, but it's true. Um, keep moving here. Another thing, um, here's, this one's more maybe of a personal, uh, i share a personal opinion with you as your pastor here. Um, maybe you can't take it or leave it, but I would suggest this. Don't take stock in those footnotes that tend to weaken the authority, the, the credibility of the Bible. This one kind of says, well, you know, boy, maybe, maybe not. There's times in the Bible has footnotes, I think of the ones that, you know, in the Old Testament, they talk about the Red Sea. Everyone knows, you know, they crossed the Red Sea, the, the Pharaoh's army got drowned in the Red Sea, but it has a little note that says, oh, or maybe the Sea of Reeds, this little tiny Sea of Reeds that, I don't know how you drown in the Sea of Reeds, but maybe that's what happened. They drowned in the Sea of Reeds, and it buried all their chariots and everything. You know, and there's some footnotes in there that are not going to get you anywhere good. Uh, this is one of them, I believe, and there's other ones there, but if it says, you know, this is a literal. Here's a literal Hebrew rendering of a word or Greek rendering. I think those can be helpful. I think you have got to watch the ones that make you question. Boy, well, if I can't trust this chapter, how, how do I trust chapter 15? I mean, how do I trust? How do I trust the Gospel of Mark and things like that? I think it's a slippery slope. And I just encourage you: don't take stock of some of those footnotes that seem like they're going to weaken your faith and your understanding of the authority of God's Word. Um, Another thing to think about on this passage here is that it agrees with all the other scriptures on, on things that it touches on. It's not like at the very end of Mark you've got something that's never ever said in the New Testament. Oh, you're supposed to go and tell the, the gospel to people. You know, that's a theme throughout the New Testament. Um, the resurrection the theme throughout the New Testament. All these things are, it's not like they, they brought up a new idea here. And we're kind of going, wow, you know, it's the one place it's mentioned. It's kind of questionable, but boy, we sure stick to that. It's not the case at all. The teachings in there are, are orthodox. They're, they're uh, affirmed in, all, in the New Testament as well. Something to keep that in mind. Another thing here, I believe it emphasizes truth that we need to know as servants of Christ. Two of those specifically about how, how to be a servant, you know, and, and we're going to talk about those here when we actually look at the passage. Sorry, I almost go with the soapbox here. Um, and, and then the last one I do think we also need to realize is that there are several verses in here that, I, that do need to be handled properly. I think there's some ones that can cause questions and confusion and they can lead to some bad things. And, and part of me wonders if another motivation for leaving out the whole chapter is kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You know, you go, there's a couple hard verses in here. Let's just get rid of the whole thing, you know. That would be a lot easier. Just like following Jesus. it's just made life a lot easier, you know. Um, that's what it's all about. No, that's that's not the case, is it? Taking up a cross and following Him is is not the easiest route. I think there's some verses that have to be properly handled here. that we're going to look at real quick. We're going to read this passage, and we're going to just look at a few of these things that we should come away with, and a few things to to be sharp on here. But let's just read this whole section together, nine through twenty. We do have a video coming up here shortly as well. But um, verse nine: When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him. Uh, she went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they, when they heard Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while walking um, in the country. These returned and reported it, to, reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him, uh, seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. They will um, drink deadly poison. They will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven. And he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So there's, uh, there's the passage. Um, and here's the... We're going to look at two, two things I think that maybe people wanted to avoid altogether. Um, the first one's maybe a little simpler. It's this verse on, on baptism here. You know, It says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Uh, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, many people have taken this verse and said, well, there you have it right there. You've got to be baptized to be saved. It says it right there. Now, now if this was the only verse in the Bible on baptism and salvation or whatever, then I guess we go, well, okay, that's one way to look at it. But, well, um, what does it take to be condemned? According to this verse, how does one get condemned? Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, if it was really trying to communicate, hey, it's all about baptism here, that's the deal, it would probably have said, uh, and those who do not believe and are not baptized will be condemned. But it doesn't follow through saying that, and it introduces that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Well, now what do we do when we come to something that's a little bit unclear um, or confusing in the scriptures? Anyone? Well, One, you look at the context. You know, in this one we go, okay, this is the context. He's just talking about taking the good news, getting saved. Okay, we're, we're in the ballpark here. What else do you look at? Other references. Other references. Where else in Scripture does it talk about salvation and baptism? And, and that's where things get really clear really quick. You know, um there's uh, other places in the New Testament, and depending on if you're looking at just like the idea of believes or believes, trust, faith tied into salvation, some scholars say it's more than 150 references to believing, having faith, trusting Christ that leads to salvation. And there's about three kind of questionable verses on baptism and salvation, and this is one of them. And and I think, you know, the idea is whoever believes will be saved. John 3.16, you know, it doesn't say anything about baptism. Um, Ephesians 2.8 and 9, it's by grace you'll be saved through faith, not by works. Nothing about baptism. So all the classic verses on salvation, they, they don't mention baptism. In some ways I think you could say here, it's whoever believes is going to be saved. Whoever believes and is baptized, you know, you could throw in some other things there. If it's really about believing, you could say, whoever believes and drinks coffee will be saved. Well, that's true. Because all, all you got to do is believe to be saved. And you can drink coffee and you can eat donuts, all sorts of things. But the important thing is, you, if you believe, you'll be saved. There's a lot of other things, you know, you could add to that and you'll still be saved. Baptism is one of those. It's an important thing to do, but it's not tied into salvation. One of the only other times it's mentioned is, again, you know, Mark is really working with Peter and recording Peter's account. Peter also has another time where people kind of question the thing he says something about baptism again. You know, maybe Peter's just, uh, I don't know, sticking his foot in his mouth related to that. But again, it's a, it's a foggy passage. You look back to the other 70 or 150 verses, think of oh, that thing's pretty clear. I'll, I'll look at this unclear one in light of that. You know, we need to do that. And again, it's, you're condemned if you don't believe. That's the focal point there. But sometimes I think people say, oh, let's just throw it out and make it easier. But this next section is really the section that I think why people throw it out. And we do have a video on this. Um, And this is about those crazy signs. You saw them in there, talking about snakes. Now, some of you have been warned in advance. Some of you might have a serious fear or aversion to snakes. At this point, you should close your eyes because this video includes snakes. And someone loves you enough, maybe one of your roommates, to say, close your eyes here.
1: A hard place to find. find. Winding mountain roads are the only way in. Visitors are rare, but for those who do come, it's an unforgettable experience. Fifty of the faithful gather for Sunday service. It's filled with loud music, lots of dancing. You might expect that. What might surprise you are the Copperheads and Rappers. They are part of the Pentecostal church, but the faithful here know the world outside may not understand, may not approve, may even hold them up for ridicule.
0: That when you take that serpent, it conquers you, and he can't back He can only do what God allows. You.
1: people may think there is no denying this is high-energy religion. Snakes pass from hand to hand, elders speak in new tongues, and the dancing doesn't stop. The celebration of their belief in God is compelling to watch, but for the followers there is a price to pay. Swigs of strychnine and poisonous snake bites can be deadly. Have you lost congregation members
0: to I snake lost this past December Similar here.
1: Chapter sixteen in the book of Mark calls for God's followers to handle serpents and drink poisons. Some see it as the ultimate proof of their faith. For those unfamiliar, all this may be too bizarre, but at the Church of the Lord Jesus in Jolo, it has been this way for some forty years. Like coal mining, religion here is passed on from one generation to the next. For these people, it's a way of life that's timeless. As time as the Appalachian Mountains they call home.
0: So we have some ideas for our summer outreach plans here at the Firehouse Church. We're taking volunteers for those who... The feel like they can handle snakes, you know. Um, no, we're not doing that. That's, uh, you know, uh, if you look on YouTube, snake handling and faith and stuff, uh, one state is generating more of those types of people than other states, and it, it does happen to be West Virginia. Um, other, states, uh, other states have actually outlawed the practice of snake handling because it results in fatalities. Um, I just read an article in, in West Virginia last Sunday. There was a funeral. For a pastor that handled a snake for a number of years, 30, 40 years, uh, he was a snake handler. He got bit uh, last, probably two weeks ago, and they just had his funeral. You know, his father died, was also a snake handler years before, and it's, uh, it's something to just go, well, wow, you know, when I read this... I don't come away with that. I don't come away with that at all, you know. If you see some of the, you know, the articles, they say, hey, look, this is a way to prove your faith. You hold a snake, you must be a Christian, you know. And I kind of go, I, if, you, if you hold a snake and you're a Christian, you must be a crazy Christian. I don't know. But uh, that's, uh, you know, that's kind of not what I get out of this. I think there's a proper handling that must occur of, of this passage here. And, you know, my understanding and, and those of um, maybe just conservative Bible-believing folks on this passage... Bible scholars on this you know there's many that believe you know the, the majority of these signs that are listed here um, they played out in the first century church you know we, we probably know them by example obviously they cast out demons quite often in the book of Acts you see that um, we see one that they spoke in new tongues You know, the the rendering, literal rendering of that means languages. They spoke in languages that they they might not have learned, but someone else heard that language. They heard the gospel in that language, and uh, and they became believers because someone spoke, and the Spirit helped them understand it in their language. That's what we understand that to mean in in this church. You know, Um, talked about uh, they'll they'll pick up snakes. You know, um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, we read about the account where he was building a fire, grabbed a snake, it bit him, they thought he was going to die on the spot. Paul did not die. You know, a lot of people on the island of Malta there got saved. I think I wonder if that was a sign that God used for them. Poison, you know, there's not an example specifically um, that we go, oh yeah, you know, and so and so drank poison in the book of Acts. But the early church fathers held that something like that occurred with someone like Barnabas or one of them that seemed like there was an exposure to poison and they did not die. But the other thing that you'll see is... Um, In the more literal translations, uh, like the ESV or the NAS, this section, uh, when it talks about, you know, it throws in the word if... If they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them and stuff. And there's this idea that, you know, if it happens, I don't know, maybe someone's trying to poison them, uh, they they would survive or something like that. But it's not, nowhere in here does it say, here's the deal, go preach the gospel, go grab onto some snakes, go drink some poison while you're at it, go, um, you know, it doesn't say this is what the normal Christian life should be like. It does say these are some signs that God will use. And I believe uh, He used the vast majority there and you know, can he do something like that still today? I think he could. I would tend to if I got bit by a snake and I'm out in the, you know, Colorado wilderness here, I would go Lord, I'm going to try to cash in on this one now because, uh, you know, um, I'm not trying to test you or anything, but it seems like it would apply. So, um, but anyways, you know, we, I think there's a, when you step over that line and you go, I'm going to go handle this, I'm going to go do an outreach, let's pass the snakes around the congregation. You know, that just doesn't sound like a proper handling of scriptures. And, and I wonder if people, some people are just like, you know, so we don't have to deal with that crazy concept. Let's just chop this whole piece of the Bible out. Well, you know, I think that does a disservice to uh, another verse here. And that's the one, um, let's see, we got the snake handle in here. But this is the one here that's, uh, I think it's a classic verse related to the Great Commission. You know, it's one of the clearest on the Great Commission. I think the most clear, most comprehensive, most of us know is Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen and 20. Um, you know, that he said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. Surely I'm with you always. But this is another one where Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And it's, as far as the servant goes, you know, the, the word good news is mentioned in the Gospels. You know, I think I read it with something like 12 times it's mentioned good news in the Gospels, using that phrase specifically. Uh, eight out of 12 of those are in the, the Gospel of Mark. And I think to be a servant, Jesus was a servant of the good news. His life became the good news. And he laid down his life and he said, go take this good news to others here. I think it's in line with being a servant. He gave it in the form of a command because, you know, why does God give commands? We've learned this before. Two reasons I would say. One is, um, well, one, it shows us what's on his heart. When God gives a command, it's an overflow. Here's something that's important to me, let me tell you. the the greatest commandment you know love and the great commission it's, it's a command that he gave it's on his heart but another thing is it's that he gives commands on things that we as human beings might not naturally do on our own Wow, let's go, I'm bored. let's go evangelize. Yeah, that sounds fun. Um, no, it's, he said, go, get out there with the gospel. He could have said, stay put, anyone comes into your temple at your turf, go get them with the gospel. He said, you here in the temple, go, get out there, take it out there. That's where the lost people are. Um, he said, go, you know. And so we, it's a, it's a command that was given to us. I think it's a command that servants of Christ, we, we need this command. Um, we're going to look at this real quickly here as we wrap up I'm going to try to fly through some of these you've seen some of these before I feel like there's an acronym that you know uh, we've used that relates to that well how do we preach what does it mean to preach you know one of them is just the proactive the go part Jesus said go uh, go means you know get out of here get out of your comfort zone if you look at Jesus' example think about the Father sending him go probably included even heaven we in a place that had no sin. We in a place where Jesus was probably not fit on. Where Jesus was probably not mocked. Where Jesus was treated in a fitting way. And it, he was told to go. Go if you're going to save people. You're not going to find them here. We've got to go. And he went into this broken world where we did spit on him. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was killed. He was misunderstood. They killed their own savior. Um, and he told us, hey look, you're my servants go follow my example you know Um, we've got to be proactive about it we can't just sit around and wait for someone come knocking on the door if they come knocking on your door and say how do I get saved tell them share a tract with them do something like that but that's not the command we've been given here a couple things just on preach you know just to fly through some definitions of preach you know to preach it says to preach the good news here um, means to proclaim to put forth to publish tidings to urge acceptance or abandonment of an idea or course of action. It's, it's, to, it's to put it out there, to publish, to declare, to proclaim. Get it out there. We've been called... You know, sometimes we go, well, I'm not a preacher. You're the preacher. Well, Jesus was talking to all His disciples and He said, hey, you guys, you are now officially proclaimers of the good news. And I hope every one of you in this room knows that uh, if you want to follow Christ, you've been called to get out there. Go and proclaim. And someday you will account for how you did that or how you didn't do that as a church we hope to help you in doing that to understand that to be equipped to do that this summer we're hoping to do some things to help us all in that but we've got to go we've got to proclaim that's that's part of our assignment as a servant of Christ he's called us to uh, declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light Um, let's look at some other ones here so we've got the to go. we got the rescue with the gospel. You know, I think it says preach the good news. We've got to make sure that we're putting the good news before people. Um, you know, sometimes I think of it as like a, the gospel is like a rescue line. It's like if someone, you know, uh, say they're hiking in the mountains, they fall on the side of this cliff or whatever. Our job is to extend the line to them and go, you know, you're, you're stranded there, you can't get out, here's, here's the rescue line. Now, our job is to extend the line. They can decide... Do I want to take it or do I not? Do I like what's going on in my world here? Would I prefer to stay stuck? Will I take hold of this rope that's been offered now, that rope we offer is, is Jesus and what He's done on the cross and how He can forgive and how He can set free and how He can give a new life. But He's called us to extend the rope. You know, one of the reasons we're called the Firehouse Church is that idea of firemen that uh, they, you know, I heard a story on, on the news uh, years ago that kind of put that thought on my heart, but there was a fireman in this town that um, there was flooding going on and he was a part of helping extend a rescue line to this woman that was stranded. And he gave her the rope, and she took hold of it, and she was saved, and he died. He died, he was drowned in a culvert. But he laid down his life as a part of seeing this woman saved. You know, that's what we've been called to as disciples, to lay down our lives while we extend a rescue line to them and that rescue line is the good news about Jesus Christ and so we just need to make sure we're doing that you know I think if we had another model right now we have something like you know uh, love rescue transform another one we've kicked around before is rescuing the world with Christ you know that's our job that's our mission as a church to rescue the world with Christ we extend the good news about him and they, they can decide whether they take hold of him or not our job is to extend to preach to proclaim that good news to them And, you know, we need to do that, uh, uh, I think it's the Living Bible that puts it like this, you know, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. And something we have to catch on that is that, you know, there's two major types of evangelism that we talk about. Um, What's the most popular, probably the most common form of evangelism that you know about? Relational evangelism. Yeah, there's another word for that. Friendship evangelism. Anyone ever heard of friendship evangelism? Anyone have any friends out there at all? No. Uh, Friendship evangelism is, you know, it's it's the phrase, it's the word in this uh, pop culture Christianity. You gotta be doing that friendship. It's it's all about friendship, you know. And that's that's a good thing to do. We want to make friends, you know. It's not like you can have enemy evangelism. I hate you, and here's the message that could save you. That's not going to help too much. Um, You want to have a friendship evangelism, but but that's not the only form of evangelism. There's also, uh, you know, some called it cold turkey evangelism—that's that, not a very fun word. Uh, another way to phrase it is initiative evangelism. And when you look back and you rewind to the first-century church, could you imagine if the first-century disciples did not share with anyone but their friends and family? Do you think what was recorded in the book of Acts would have happened? Do you think it would have gone viral, gone worldwide? I don't think so. I think Peter would have looked at a crowd of 3,000 and said, I don't know half of you here. I don't know hardly any of you here. I don't even speak your language. Catch you later, you know. Um, No, they're they're preaching to people they didn't even know. He wasn't even a friend of a lot of them. Oh, my goodness. And yet he shared this important message about Jesus Christ and how he could forgive you and how he could transform your life. you know, Paul, imagine Paul. Well, I'm going to Athens now. I, I'm just not going to talk to anyone in Athens. I don't have any friends, family, relatives here. So, sorry, Athenians. Now, what did he do? He went, he went and boldly proclaimed in Athens about Jesus. He didn't even have a soup kitchen there. He didn't even feed the homeless. He just walked in there and started preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Um, you know, I'm all for a friendship evangelism. I've got a few friends I'm trying to reach out to, trying to be nice to and love on them and share the good news. But I think the area that we probably have to grow in as Christians, if we want to get back to what they did at the beginning, is initiating. Initiating with people you might not even know. More for their sake than for yours. Um, you know, sometimes people have sales jobs and things. And you've got to cold call people. You know, and it's like, oh, I can call these people because I'm getting a paycheck for it. But could I talk to them about Jesus, something that could save their lives? And said, well, I guess if they paid me, if I was, you know, an intern or something, I could do that. But, but we've got we've to reach everyone everywhere, and I think our time's running out. We've been praying at noon every day, asking God to save people. You know, love. God, grow our love for you. Rescue. God, rescue these people. By name. I hope you're praying for them by name. And, uh, and we're praying for opportunities. You know, love, rescue, transform. But what's going on here? So pray for their salvation. Pray that God saves certain people. I hope you have people you're praying for by name. That God would work in the world. That He'd rattle their world. He'd give them a wake-up call. Because That's sometimes the best thing that could ever happen. I know in my life I look back on some of the wake-up calls that I had and I go, God, I'm so glad you got my attention. I'm so glad you rattled my world so that I could see my need for you and get saved and get transformed and get living for someone besides myself. Ask for those. I encourage you. Every, we're praying at noon every day. Um, ask for those opportunities. We've got to catch God's heart on the matter. <clears throat> you know, we, sometimes I talk about those people when you're, when you're in love with someone, uh, you know, when you're getting engaged. I think about these guys. Um, you know, I know when I was engaged, you really didn't have to ask me to talk about my, my fiancé, you know. I would probably volunteer telling you things about Maureen that were amazing and how wonderful she was, and I just would gush. You know, and sometimes we go, well, that's how we're supposed to be about Jesus, right? Everyone knows, yeah, you know, you're in love with someone, you gush. I bet if you just bump Alan a little bit and say, tell me about Lydia, he will talk your ear off for a long time, you know. Um, People, they just do that about people you love. But, But what happens if you don't have that loving feeling? You lost that loving feeling. Um, you know, I think of the old Righteous Brother song. You never close your eyes anymore. No, um, I, I'll stop there. But you know, sometimes I think. Um, sometimes I think we think that if you don't have that gushy loving feeling, well, you don't have to share, right? Well, wrong. No, it's, that's why it was in command format. You know, you could have said, "Hey, look, if you got that loving feeling." Talk to anybody you can. No, he said, Hey, here's your assignment, servant. If I am your master, if I am your Lord, i got something for you to do. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. We've got to do it. Now you want to have that loving feeling. If you're not doing it because you don't love God, I mean... That's an issue, but it doesn't mean, well, I guess I'm not going to do anything until my heart's in it. Well, that's, that's a bigger issue, I think. Um, but we want to catch that heart. Ask God, God, give me your heart about this. Help me to know how you long for the lost. You're the ones that they're, they're lost from you, Lord. How, how could I have that feeling when it's really, you're the one that suffers the loss more than me. I don't know what it's like to be lost eternally. Um, but we can pray that God gives us that heart. Have no hindrances this is the last one here. You know, I just want to make sure that we, um, we don't have unbelief. You know, I think Jesus' words here, he came back to them and he rebuked them for their lack of faith and for their stubbornness to believe that which they were, they were told by the other witnesses. And, and I wonder if he showed up today if he could not rebuke us for our lack of faith and for our unbelief about the things that we've been told. Uh, I think... If the shoe fits, you know, wear it. But we need to make sure it's not our unbelief that's preventing Yeah, God just can't work in their life. or I'm just not the type of person that talks to someone I don't know, you know, unless it's about something that's on my heart, you know, um, sports or things like that, but whatever. Um, We need to make sure apathy is not something that prevents this boy, you know. I just... I just could care less about this. It's not on my heart. Fear. Maybe it's fear that prevents us from this. Or maybe it's... I think selfishness could be a big barrier. You know, think about Jesus. If He didn't... His world was perfect. He was in heaven. He could have just stayed there, enjoyed the praises, enjoyed the fellowship, no sin, no one wanting to hit Him with a club, no one wanting to put thorns on His head. And He left that behind to come into this world where he knew he was going to suffer. You know, if you want to reach someone, you've got to come into their world. and The only way you're going to come into their world is if you leave your comfortable, routine world behind. You get, something's got to change, and we are got to follow his example and take up the cross and follow him as we get the good news out here. But um, we're going to close right here, and we'll overdo our time, but uh, we'll just pray that God helps us to, to become a church that is carrying out his commands as his servants. Um, you know, we could give thanks to at the very end. It just said he worked with them. You know, this servant, Jesus is still alive. He worked with his disciples after they were given this mission, and he confirmed, he backed their message. And I think he's looking to us to give them something to back. Give them something to say, yeah, I want to attest to that thing they just told you right there about my love, about my forgiveness, about my life-changing ability. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for, for your life. We thank you for uh, what you endured through the cross and through your death. We thank you, Lord, that you rose from the dead to, to prove that you could do it all. You gave us a, uh, almost a receipt of the transaction that, that you performed in paying for our sins, Lord God. And uh, God, I pray you give us confidence to take the good news out there. I pray you give us a heart to, to gush about you because we love you, because we know your love, your forgiveness, your grace. God, I pray you'd make us a church that that is trying to to go and preach the good news to everybody, everywhere. God, help us in that. Help us extend a rescue line to people who need you. And help us put the choice before them, Lord, in in the power of your spirit, but the choice is still up to them. But God, we've got our assignments. Help us to carry it out, even like you did, for the glory of our Father. We just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming this morning here. Um, We will catch you next next Sunday with the James Chapter 1. All right.